right, boys. You didn't see the rest. Now I'm gonna show you the best. My Rainey's gonna show you her black bottom. Went on south in Alabama. The buzzer sounds. Irvin goes to the door. There is a flurry of commotion as Ma Rainey enters, followed closely by the policeman, Dusty May, and Sylvester. Ma Rainey is a short, heavy woman. She is dressed in a full-length fur coat with matching hat, an emerald green dress, and several strands of pearls of varying lengths. Her hair is secured by a headband that matches her dress. Her manner is simple and direct, and she carries herself in a royal fashion. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the book better than the movie. We are recording this on Monday, February 8th, 2021. Today, we are discussing Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, streaming currently on Netflix. With me today to talk about the adaptation is the Black Bottom dancing, Jelly Roll Lovin', and the faulty Mike using Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people, E. Hello, people. And also that faulty Mike, that was once. That was one time. Yeah, but it, it was really faulty. It was super faulty. It didn't pick up your voice at all. But also with Sylvester's mic in the film today. Yeah. So, well, figured. it's it's a double, yeah. It has a double meaning. Yeah, exactly. I'm bad at using mics. Sylvester uh, had his mic sabotaged by someone, Levy. Who knows? Your mic also might have been sabotaged. Uh, probably by Levy. Levy. I keep wanting to call him I think Levy. It's, it's yeah, Levy. It's Levy. Yeah. yeah. Like drive your Chevy to the Levy. <laughs> oh, God. There you go. That's how I remember it. That's how I'm going <laughs> to remember horrible. it now so how are you i'm good good i'm good um you know i still think it's 2020 i don't know when you said like april 8th 2021 i was like that's not right that's yeah it's 2020 you know how you when you're writing stuff like and you start like a journal whatever like you write the beginning of the year it's harder to get 2021 down i'm still having trouble with that yeah i don't think that's going to change until much later this year like 2030 yeah yeah because everyone keeps talking about 2020 and it's just like it's a forever year it is a forever year that's a good way to describe it um, so we are recording this on a Monday night and we recorded, um, our most recent episode, which was the, um, preseason episode for, for our upcoming season, which we are starting today. Um, Oscar bait, Oscar bait. Yeah. 2021 Oscar bait. And I wanted to say that I almost killed myself slipping on the ice. I'm away that time we recorded as well as tonight. I had to walk in the middle of the street again. Yeah. The ice is still there. It is going to be a recurring theme. I think all of this week. The highs are in like the low 30s. Yeah. Maybe even high 20s. And so if it does snow more, there's going to be more ice and there's going to be less shoveling. This, and it's going to be a, a problem forever. I this, think this hobby is becoming a hazard. You know, bring me back to 2020. <laughs> Things were safer. Things <laughs> were safer then. That's true. They were. Um, so before we get into the adaptation a little bit, we're going to talk about some fast facts play in the movie. So the play was written by August Wilson. Uh, debuted on Broadway's Court Theater in 1984, uh, received a Tony Award nomination for Best Play, and it has a, it has a Goodreads rating of 3.96. Um, the movie released to select theaters in November 2020 and then 
uh, streaming to Netflix in December 2020, uh, directed by George C. Wolf. Uh, screenplay was written by Ruben Santiago Hudson, and it stars Viola Davis, Chadwick Boseman. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, 98%, Metacritic, 87%, so pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I think I need to clean this up. I think in our last episode I said this was written by Kemp Powers, the guy that did Soul, and I meant One Night in Miami. I can't remember oh. if I did that right, but obviously it wasn't. he did not. It's a stack correction. Yeah, it's a stack correction. Yeah, yeah. got to get that in there. I also think it's interesting that this has a Goodreads rating, like people – yeah just like reading plays marking them down there are good reads yeah you did it i did it yep but i just think it's funny that the general public is like i need to rate this on goodreads yeah like after they read it yeah so i looked at it today i think it has like 2000 or 2500 which is like more than i thought actually yeah that's not a small amount. amount yeah yeah it's not harry potter amount but yeah i think also when going forward whenever we say netflix we need to have the the Da-dum. oh behind it yeah yeah i um, can throw that in there or we just play a drinking game or if we talk about netflix and everyone has to drink Okay, you hear that, listeners? You have to drink. So every, every time we say Netflix, so uh, can we get a little recap, Eric? Yeah, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom tells the story of a long, hard recording session for Ma and the four members of her band at a white-run studio in Chicago in 1927. Yep. Issues of race, religion, death, and the appropriate reaction when someone steps on your shoe are discussed. That is very true. That's Ma Rainey's Black you Bottom. You can't step on people's shoes. No, I think if it happens twice, then you are. Uh, legally allowed to take recourse yes of course so that's i mean that's it that's a that's a short recap but um i think within it like this is a play obviously and Mm -hmm. they are long blocks of dialogue and conversation so Mm -hmm. plot is sort of second and talking is first yep right so even if that seems thin it's like really it's an hour and a half yeah i mean it was an hour and a half movie it was a 95 page play with two acts so yeah fair enough yeah i give you a break for having a short synopsis that's right yeah i'm trying to move us all along much like august wilson writing this play so tightly yeah that's true. he's like get on with it let's yeah, record he's, already he's got that's his... what i'm saying I'm like, let's record <laughs> i'm like ma rainey and you're like levy i'm i'm trying to do my own thing levy God. yeah levy it's levy anyway anyways so Two truths, one lie. Are you ready? Do you know how it works? Yes. You know works? Okay. Three statements, two of them are truths, one of them will be a lie. Although last time that wasn't <laughs> true, so. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to not fuck it up this time. Okay. Um, ready. Number one, Chadwick Boseman attended Howard University in Washington, D.C. Number two, Viola Davis's character appears on screen for less than 27 minutes of runtime. Um, number three, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom did not appear on Barack Obama's favorite films and TV shows of 2020. You know, he has his recaps, like favorite songs, favorite whatever. Yeah. He's a pop culture tastemaker in some ways, I suppose. Yeah, I would say that. His year-end list is pretty popular usually. Yeah. And is good for like authors, right? If yes, definitely. They get yeah. on that list in there. He needs a book club is what we're saying. Like Oprah or Reese, the sh- Barack book club. Also, as well as a uh, watch club. Yeah. So. Yeah. Barack Obama, welcome. You're welcome anytime to the Lens Podcast. So I know for a fact that Chadwick Boseman did attend Howard University. Okay. Um, so I'm going to keep that one as a truth. Mm-hmm. Violet Davis' character appears on screen for less than 27 minutes. She's really not in the movie all that much, but the movie itself is only 90 minutes. So a third of the screen time could be true. Less than a third. And then Ma Rainey's Black Bomb did not appear on his list. I find that hard to believe since this is like an Oscar frontrunner. I feel like people would be talking about that more and maybe they are. And I'm just not in those conversations, 
that that kind of stinks. So I'm gonna say the the Barack Obama Barack Obama did put this on his favorite films and TV shows of 2020. Final answer. You're correct. Yes, that's right. Great. God Probably damn. number one on his list. Might have been. I didn't look at the actual top ten, but uh, he did put it on his list. Uh, I don't think he ranks favorites. them. I think he just puts them. Alphabet Is that right? Day. Okay. Yeah. And then um, How, you can't rank art well. That's true. You Even though we're doing an Oscar bait season yeah. when we're that's what literally what, literally we're gonna what we're going to be doing, doing at the end, yeah, but that's okay. Winners and stuff. Yeah, that's all right. We're doing our thing. We all uh, fail. We all fall on the sword sometimes. Well, we all compromise our speak morals for yourself. sometimes. <laughs> and then, so yeah, Viola Davis's character did appear on screen for less than 27 minutes. So this is like such, well, we'll talk about it when the Oscars comes up, but it's like the opposite of her Fences performance. Oh, right? like she's, she a, was she's supporting, supporting she's going to be lead. Yeah. Well, Will, her name is in the fucking title. So I'm is that a, is that a lead enough for you? No, it's not. Okay. Well, it wasn't the the same argument can be had for like Hannibal, right? He was on screen for less than like 15 minutes or something. That's not called Hannibal though. That's called, um, something else. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What is it called? But he, he won best actor for that. So it's all just fucking nonsense. That's, that's that called. That's the point I'm trying to make. They're making there. We just watched the Super Bowl last Clarice night. Clarice was the, uh, silence, of the silence, Lambs. silence of the lambs. Yeah. Yeah. So. That might, I think that's a little lens joint as well. It is Thomas yeah. Harris, the writer. Oh, same. Shout out yeah thomas harris yeah <laughs> went to high school with thomas yeah harris. oh my god um all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back shout out thomas harris if you like what you're hearing please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. it'll help us find more fine listeners like you and we're back um thank you from that brief word from uh eric appreciate that you're welcome um so congratulations on winning true two truths one lie um not really surprising. I'm not really happy for you, but that's okay. <laughs> We're gonna get into uh, the play that we read um, over the weekend. And you know, before we do that, I'm gonna uh-huh. talking about two truths, one lie. We were reading uh, like horoscope stuff yesterday, and of course, um, what are you? Uh, Mary, my wife, was like, "I'm a Gemini," oh, and right. so she was looking up horoscope stuff, and she said Gemini's are likely to just tell you random trivia nuggets. Just like in random conversation. And I was like, shit. That is so fucking you. Yeah. <laughs> what does it say about Pisces? Uh, Actually, I don't want to know. Yeah, don't that they me. can't be trusted. <laughs> That's probably true, too. So, anyway, I thought that was funny. That is funny. That's, that is you. Yeah. It's funny how those things are kind of accurate. Yeah. They're probably accurate like 50% of the time. There's a little confirmation bias yeah. in it as well. But yeah. that one was really right. That's really good. It was like half of my conversations are me just explaining things every time you bring that bring up a trivia fact that i'm just gonna call you a gemini classic gemini yeah, move. yeah. <laughs> um moving on from the gemini we're gonna talk about the play that we read it was 95 pages um written by august wilson available on kindle and other outlets probably in paperback too somewhere yeah Barnes and noble and stuff um but did you like it i did like it i am out of season like reading plays I don't know how you are. I feel like the last play I read was Fences, probably. Yeah, I think so. Um, me too. And for me, like just generally, it, I think it takes a little bit more effort to get through a play because when I'm confronted with something so dialogue heavy, I tend to like read it faster and mm. read it less closely because mm. it's just like words, and I feel like I just scream right past the words. Yeah. So um, I feel like it really took a second read for me to grasp more of it. 
And the one I saw, I mean, mine was 45, not 95, but maybe it was just because like the edges were wider and they fit more words. Damn, on the really? Page. Yours was 45 pages? Yeah. I mean, it still took me a, a while to read. I guess maybe, yeah. That's a significant amount though. Yeah. I think maybe difference. just the margins were really wide. Yeah. And so, maybe. I have a really small Kindle. Yeah. But so anyways, maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, what I really liked on the second read, I was really trying to figure out like how to write a play. Um, and the first mm-hmm. thing I took note of was how all the main characters, the main players are described based on how they play music. Mm-hmm. I'll be picked up on this. So like Cutler is described as playing is solid and almost totally unblemished slow drag innate African rhythms underlie everything he plays and he plays with an ease that is at time starting Toledo in control of his instrument. He understands and recognizes that its limitations are an extension of himself. Mm-hmm. Le- Levy, he plays wrong notes frequently <laughs> and he often gets his skill and talent confused with each other. So it's like <laughs> their music playing styles are also their personalities yeah. in a certain sense. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a cool way to save a bunch of space and show that your musical style as a blues performer, as a jazz performer is tied to your personality. Yeah. I did not catch that. That's a, that's pretty clever from August. They must've said that at, be- at the beginning, right? Towards the beginning of the play of the play. Yeah. 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 Um, Cause I first noticed it when they introduced Irv and Mel, the two uh, only white people in the story yep. mm-hmm. who are, who work for the studio. They're described like almost only in their relation to like black people and how they view black people. Mm. So like Irv is, I didn't write it down, but he's described as being like friendly and like, we'll work with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mel is like standoffish. And, yeah, yeah. And he just wants them to like do their work and get out basically. So he can get, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's a kind of an interesting way. They don't, he doesn't say like their age or what they look like. He's just like, here's how this person feels about black yeah. people. Right. Here's how this one does. And I was like, oh, I wonder how he describes the actual black characters. Mm-hmm. And he describes them like in huge paragraphs, but I thought it was kind of interesting that he described them with their musical style. Yeah, I mean, it's probably that's um, probably been ha- been said in the past, like about musicians how their their instrument is sort of like an extension of their personality or of, of you know their person, whatever. Yeah, uh, the way that they play. And I was going to mention that uh, Levy is, or yeah, Levy is probably better suited as like a jazz player somebody who's more um improvisational yeah who's allowed to be wild yes as opposed to like in a recording studio where you have to do it to the t yeah well he wants his own band right and i think that's he doesn't fit well in a box he's very yeah. ambitious and needs to continue to move on and mm-hmm. he can't just be like a session musician no he can't sit still yeah so. um but i thought that was interesting so that was the first thing i flagged second secondly i just think the dialogue is really good yeah i mean yes is really Very really much. good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote down a ton of lines. I'm not going to repeat them here, but read the play and you'll you'll see. You'll see I, why, yeah. I really like Toledo as a person. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, Levy is the big breakout here. I think it's kind of it's kind of Levy's story in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But I thought t- some of Toledo's like wisdom was great. Yeah, I mean he was kind of like the old old guy, um, and he kind of spoke in more like general terms and more like societal terms talking about how you know black black folks are always trying to like have fun and like 
that's that there's more to life than just having fun and stuff like that. He's talking more of like a wise old man as opposed to like Levy and everybody else who's just trying to have a good time and play music and yeah, no good timing. No good timing. Good timing does nothing good for anybody. That's true. Um, and then I I thought that this was just really well paced for being a play set in two places that takes place over two scenes. Mm-hmm. Like there was zero fat. I thought everything yeah. served a purpose. Every character served a purpose. Every action served a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like there was no fat. What about the car crash? Well, let's talk about that later. But I, that's the movie version. Because they showed the car crash in the movie, but they yeah, right. show it in the play. But they, but what's the point of the car crash in the play? Well, I think it underscores the societal like view of a black person. How she's like immediately like in the recording studio she's famous but on the street mm. she's just another black person who they don't believe that she owns her car she right. can't hail a cab mm-hmm. she's not trusted by the cop yeah right like right. he's blaming things on her that she said she didn't do yeah and we'll get into that point i guess later when we talk about the movie but that is when she's walking through the hotel and stuff it's sort yeah. of like a contradiction to that perspective Whereas she is known outside of the studio or is it more about them being racist and looking at her? Like, why is she in this hotel? Or let's talk about it. I have a, yeah. an opinion on that. Okay. Um, table that, but what, what about you? I talked a lot in this section. So I, I liked it. Yeah. I, I like, <laughs> thank you. I liked it a lot too. Um, it was very, the dialogue was really, really good. Like you really got a sense of these characters, how they talked, um the dialect was like you you're basically just put right there these put in the time frame put in the setting like i don't know how else to describe it but you really got a sense of like who they were and you know where they're from and stuff um so i really enjoyed it and it was very fast paced which was which was good for me and um yeah there was there were parts where i thought i was reading it too quickly and like okay i need to like back up like what exactly happened here i i that happened to me during um levy's monologue we're talking about his father and his mother yeah um but for the most part, I mean, it was really enjoyable and I loved reading Levy and I loved reading Ma Rainey. Um, I found them irritating a lot of the time, but it was more of like, um, you know, I think you found out later on why they were that way um, as you read on. Um, so you got, you gained some empathy towards them, but I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it's interesting you bring up that like you learn more about them as you go because it, it does kind of start very fast when they're like these four guys are just thrown together mm-hmm. into this room to practice for the eventual recording session mm-hmm. and you don't really like they know each other but you don't really know them so they're like everybody's trying to feel each other out in a certain way like yep. you can tell they actually don't really know each other as well as their like station might suggest like as bandmates mm-hmm. um but you can tell they kind of get along with each other they're kind of giving each other shit and like kind of you know there's a lot of back and forth between everyone there's a lots of conversation obviously but yeah it felt friendlier in the movie than it did in the play like in the play i thought it was kind of harsh and then i saw them do it in the movie version i was like oh no this is like this is just like banter yeah it's just it's just good banter yeah um yeah yeah so um very good i mean it was it was a very enjoyable read i'm not one to really read plays we got two more oh god so but no, I'm, I'm excited for those. But yeah, this was really, really good. Um, so let's get into some of the key themes that August Wilson 
um, brings to the readers here in this book. And the first one you have listed, um, probably not surprisingly, but very importantly, uh, race. Yeah, this one is is obvious. Um, I think if you if you've listened to the the recap and listened to what we were just talking about, um, I mean, it's it's five black entertainers performing for two white studio executives mm-hmm. who are going to take the recording and like send it out to the world. So, I mean, it, it's very obvious. Like the whole dynamic is just that they're at the behest of these white suits. Yeah. Right. Um, I think there are, there are several moments of, of tension outside of that, mm-hmm. like with the car accident, most notably, and the, the movie like introduces even more. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about those later. Um, but I, I think, it's very clear in the book that whether you are white or whether you are black really determines what you are allowed to do and what you're allowed to say to certain people. Yeah. And sort of how you're sort of indirectly treated or directly treated. Um, there are certain, certainly uh, moments in the, in the play where you get the sense that the tertiary white characters that are not necessarily mentioned um, maybe like the, the drivers and stuff that for the car crash, um, where you get a sense of like racial tension, um, towards the black characters. Um, so it's sort of like a, an air sort of around the setting of a story as well as sort of a direct penny between the music executives like you talk about as, and the, um, and the musicians. Yeah. I really thought, um, I don't know if this was mentioned in the play, um, but how the stage was set where the white executives were up higher um, than the musicians. Do you remember that in the play? Was that described? I don't, I don't remember. Okay. Well, we don't t- table that, but I, I thought that was an interesting dynamic between the race relations as well. Yeah. I just sort of remember it as like two rooms and when they were, when the action was taking place, they'd flip the lights on. Yeah. And then when someone would leave, they would flip the lights off and like flip the lights on in the other room. Right. Which right. I thought was kind of... That'd be a cool yeah. to see it as a play. Yeah. Um, but certainly, yeah, race relations. Um, certainly, I wouldn't say it's super direct in the dialogue. Um, necessarily, it's more indirect in the way that they talk, uh, the way things are stated. Like about right. race and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, the, the white executives don't say anything necessarily racist, directly racist. It's more like indirect racism, I guess. Yeah, and there's a, there's to one say. to talk about coming up, so we'll yeah. table that for that too. Yeah. So we also do when I move to religion. Yeah, that's another one. Um, I think this one is is more overt in the dialogue, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, Levy compares himself to the archangel Gabriel who mm-hmm. plays the trumpet, mm-hmm. um, which I think also comes up in Fences that we read. So oh, there's yeah. a there's a little through line. Yeah. Um, a lot of these guys in here, like Cutler, is deeply religious. He has an anecdote about a reverend who has a bit of trouble on a railroad coming up from Tallahassee. Yeah. Um, slow drag. His wife becomes religious and leaves him because he's not pious mm. enough for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Levy is just like deeply, deeply questioning to the point where he is like welcoming the devil into his life because God has sort of left him behind mm-hmm. and um, his blasphemy like causes Cutler to punch him in the face. Yep. So I think there's, in this story, God and religion plays a pretty large role in characters questioning, like, their lot and station in life, whether for ill, like, um, 
Levy in his past life, he thinks God has sort of abandoned him mm-hmm. or it's just like God's plan in a certain way. And that's what, this is what you do. This is how you follow. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he's quoted as saying that God or God has basically, um, thrown black people's prayers in the trash. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he's totally abandoned their race. Um, whereas Cutler is deeply religious man, like you said, and, Toledo is not necessarily super religious, but you mentioned his wife who left him for, because she started going to church and found, and started comparing Toledo, her husband, to the men from the church who were more religious, and then basically started looking down on Toledo and left him. Um, but slow drag, yeah, he mentions the devil, right? The man who sold his soul to the devil. Oh, that's right. right? His anecdote, yeah. And mm-hmm. he like carried it around in a, in a little bag yeah um yeah and would like do weird things and would get out of trouble yeah would pass out money to people to like recruit them to be in his little devil worshiping gang yeah right (laughs) i don't think we got ma rainey's perspective on religion um we certainly didn't get it from the music executives yeah i think it's just the four yeah it's just the the four four guys yeah the four yeah so um, so that certainly played a role in a lot of the tension between the musicians later on in the in the story, um, but also money. Yeah, and I, I think this even calls to that, like you were just talking about Levy wanting to sell his soul to the devil. Maybe I said that, I don't remember. Yeah, But yeah, yeah. like he's he's actively looking to sell his soul to the devil. And in a certain sense, like that's the role that money plays here, which is like the dynamic between entertainer and studio executive is one based in money. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can perform, but I'm the one that controls what gets pressed into this like wax vinyl record, mm-hmm. what gets sent out, if you're popular or not. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can play all these tent shows in the South and you'll have a great audience, but if you want to make it to Harlem, if you want to make it to Chicago, if you want to make it to these big northern cities, I'm sort of the gatekeeper because I control the, like the financial ways that music moves. You have to play what I think will be good and uh for those markets and if you don't do that i'm not gonna pay you yeah it it is interesting because ma i think probably in in uh viola davis's sizzle reel for best actress they'll probably show the scene where she talks about the blues and to her the blues is sort of this like singing about a condition of being alive and it's not always good it's not always loud it's not always like you don't always dance to it Mm -hmm. right it's just sort of it is what it is it helps you get out of bed Right. But it's not always going to be happy. Whereas like the white executives are like, I need some blues music that is going to make kids dance. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's not really blues music. Right. So in the pursuit of money, they're sort of bastardizing what they either think they're trying to do, which is like create a new popular artist that they can sell. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know, like the, the, the pursuit of money for especially the the white folks causes them to bastardize the music that they are producing but the pursuit of money for it sort of does the same thing for like someone like levy mm-hmm. who's willing to sell his songs yeah and the hopes that he can make it big as well yeah well he he's more selfish in that regard but i think the music executives um, are not really interested in the art or what it necessarily represents uh for the artist um more about you know, will this record play? Yeah. You know, they're only interested in the stats and they want to make it big in Harlem, man. That's true. Hey man. I think they say that like twice. Yeah. 
Ireland's a big market, you know? Yeah. They want to feel happy. They want to forget their troubles. Yeah. So, but also like obviously all these guys are doing what they're doing for money specifically. Yeah. Um, and Levy, there is a big, big plot point buys these $11 pair of like nice shoes. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a week's maybe more wages. I think they say at yeah, some point. Yeah, it's certainly not um, cheap for. So yeah, it's sort of like living. Are you living above your raisin yeah. in a certain sense? Like yeah, and this ties into his ambition. Um, yeah, talk talk to talk to me about that. So he is clearly ambitious. He, like like you just mentioned, he's kind of living above his uh, pay grade, and he's certainly. Um, certainly wants the nicer things in life and has these grand ambitions of becoming his own artist, forming his, his own band. I forget what they're, they call themselves like the leg stompers green and the, maybe it is leg stompers. Something like something like that. But he has big ambitions of, you know, having his own band and, and making it big and, you know, making songs and making it on the radio and um, being kind of like Ma Rainey, but for uh, the Harlem audience, he wants to make hit records and not necessarily be, uh, like an artist like Ma Rainey is probably more interested in being. Um, and that ambition certainly causes a lot of tension between like all of the characters because he doesn't really want to listen to what they have to say, even though the songs are for Ma Rainey, right? They're, they are her songs. He's trying to push his own like twist and his own blueprint and his own fingerprint on the songs that are currently already written for Ma Rainey. Um, so we can kind of get his name out there. And I think they did that interestingly in the movie, in the one of the opening scenes, but we can get into that later. But I thought it was, ambition can be two different things. Ambition can be about, you know, how successful you want to be in life or how like, um, like happy you want to be. And I think Ma Rainey's is more about being happy, but also about being like true to her music. Um, and she's incredibly ambitious about, not selling records, not making records to sell them to certain markets and solely to do that for, uh, solely to make music that represents her perspective or her type of uh, musicality. Yeah, I think you're right. And I would add that with his ambition, he lacks patience. Mm-hmm. And without that, that look, without that, it sort of separates him from what Ma Rainey is trying to do. Like Ma Rainey obviously is a band leader and she's making money and, and doing things with her life. Um, and he aspires to that, but in his pursuit of it, he sort of disregards some of the like railings that Ma Rainey puts on some of her conversations. Mm-hmm. Like Ma Rainey will ask for things because she thinks she's deserves them. Levy doesn't deserve anything, but ask for things anyway. Yeah. And ultimately that's what gets him in like a whole lot of, yeah. of trouble. And I, it gets him in trouble because he sort of puts it on himself. Yeah. He tries to move too fast and um, it doesn't work for him. Yep. So ambition can be a bad thing. Yeah. Just ask Wale. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then uh, the last, the last, excuse me, the last, the last uh, key theme we have here is stubbornness. And I didn't really know, couldn't figure out a different word for this, but basically what I was referring to is Ma Rainey's stubbornness in her pursuit of, like protecting her people as well as protecting her music. Um, she's unrelenting uh, in anyone else's suggestions about what she wants and what she thinks is best for her essentially. And she is so stubborn that she won't even necessarily listen to what other people have to say. 
Um, and I thought that was an interesting... It was certainly irritating at first because I thought, wow, this person is not even willing to listen to like the other person's perspective. And I just thought that was like close-minded. But then the more I thought about it and the more we find out about her and her character, is it's like, well, she's sort of... Um, uh, she is a product of her environment where she has to be this way. Um, otherwise, she will let people walk all over her. So she's really like it's really kind of a benefit in a way. She's really letting herself and her personality and her her artistry kind of shine through by being this like almost combative. Yeah. Um, and sort of and Levy is very similar in the same way but to like a more detrimental effect, I think in the end, obviously, but they're very similar in their stubbornness and you know what they want. They know exactly what they want and they're not willing to like negotiate or, or um, compromise compromise. Exactly. Yeah. So like she, they're talking about playing the song Ma Rainey's black bottom and they want to initially the, the white folks want to do Levy's arrangement of it, which mm-hmm. is faster, dancier, and she says, no, we're not doing that. We're doing my way. Yeah. And we're doing it my way so that you can pay my nephew $25. Right. And then later she won't perform because she doesn't have a Coca-Cola in front of her. Mm. Or like she won't perform because her car is not fixed. Right. Or these, these like things that aren't taken care of the way she demands them to be taken care mm. of. And she won't do her job without it. Yeah. And I think it, it, I think it ties into like the race relations. Like, you know, Ma Rainey is this way because she's, familiar with the music business she's familiar how these things work and she doesn't necessarily need it you know certainly she i'm sure she would like the money but she's willing to walk out if she doesn't get her coke right like she is not willing to put up with these white people who you know she may think you know put her in this box or demean her in certain ways and don't respect her opinion Um, whereas the same thing with um levy you know he he has this moment where he's um, everybody's talking about how he's talking to Mel, right? Everybody's making fun of him for like sucking up to the white man. I can't remember the phrase they use, but he has his monologue where he describes, um, he knows all about the white man. He's, he is this way because of that. So it's sort of like a defense mechanism in a way. Yeah. Was it stubbornness. like fooling with white men or like afraid of them in a certain, like, yeah, not, not, not quite the right word, but yeah. 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 I, th- I think, um, I, when when Ma's talking about the blues, I think she gives a little insight into what you're talking about, right? She knows that all they want from her is her voice, and she's willing to provide that as long as they are going to provide like the same kind of trappings they would give to someone else with a voice like hers, yeah, or who can move things like she can move things. She she's like very clear with like I have sold more records than the rest of the people that come through the studio combined, right? So if they're going to buy me a five cent coke, then like what am I doing here? Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it is stubbornness and it's also just like a sort of like protective layer that's been hardened into her from just like living in 1920s America. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was because when I was, when I was reading and watching, I was like, why is she this like irritable and why is she this combative? And you know, as you, as it goes on, you find out more about her and, think more about it is like okay well she's probably this way because of her you know environment yeah but. she is very hard-edged um it's like her environment i want to be a part of my environment i want my environment to be a part of me the departed i think i did that quote wrong but that's okay that's okay i got it 
So, um, so what, what were some parts of the play that you were excited to see adapted into the movie? So we've talked about this on the podcast before, but Will, you and I were in a history of jazz class once upon a time. Um, when we try to forget. Yeah. As part of that class, uh, one of the primary texts was this Ken's Ken Burns documentary jazz. I'm, I don't know if you remember watching that. I don't, I mean, I don't really remember much except for him. Like, yeah, you just like, it's blacked out of your mind. Berating all the white people in the class. Yeah. Um, as, as you should, because that was, that was, that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, we watched that documentary and I recently rediscovered it on PBS. Like it's, oh. it's airing right now Okay. and I've been recording the episodes and I've been watching them and that factors into this because this is a movie about blues music and just like music generally in the twenties. And I was pretty excited to see music like this kind of music specifically. Mm-hmm. And I will say that it wasn't like as music driven as i was maybe thinking it might be mm. it's more abstract conversations about what the blues mean and how they are like warping her and the blues like ideal yeah. kind of thing um but that was the first thing i was like oh man i'm ready for some like jazzy bluesy movie mm-hmm. um two just chadwick last role yeah obviously reading the text first you know it's a showy role yeah so that's going to be exciting uh, and then three, I was just, I was, I was curious about how they were going to do the sort of racial divide between the execs and the performers. And if they were going to broaden it, make any allusions to like more present day America, like there's mm. a, a tendency, I think in some of these stories to like draw very clear parallels mm-hmm. between this play is set in 1927, but we're going to do like a wink, wink to Trump yeah, and you're going right. to get it. Right. And uh, I was I was interested to see how they were going to do that because I think there mm. are some movies that do that and there are yeah. some that don't. Right. Um, and I don't think this one does. Like it feels very much like a, a in and of its time, mm-hmm. and you almost don't even need to say that like shit is still like this. Yes. Right? Yeah. It it almost goes unsaid. It almost it almost needs it doesn't need to be said. No, I think you're right, and it, I don't think it does that. If it does do it, it does it very subtly and not obvious. Um, yeah. So I was, um, apart from the obvious, like all the things that you mentioned, I was excited about the music, like you said. I kind of wish we had gotten a little more, but I was happy with what we got. I mean, it was it was all really good. Yeah, not a lot though. Yeah, and certainly excited for the performances. As I was reading, like you said, you could. It's a very showy role. And I, I, you know, I didn't know much about the story beforehand. Um, I didn't know like what the plot points were or anything like that. So I was actually kind of surprised about how combative everybody was towards each other, kind of. So I was really interested in seeing that dynamic between Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Um, so that was really cool to see. And then I was interested to see how the movie expanded on the script. Like you only have 90, 95 pages or whatever of uh, play material and you only have two settings. I imagine there's going to be some more thrown in there. And they they did add some, I guess, like a handful of things. Yeah. But it was mainly those two settings. Um, but I was really excited to see, like, you know, what else they told. Like, what what else can you guys give me from the story that I hadn't, hadn't gotten from the play? So, I like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty limited, right? So, when you have a movie camera, you yeah. can do some more stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then why do we think this was adapted into a movie? All of my answers for these are like, well, you know, Fences was pretty successful, so they had to do the second one. But I, I think it's more than that. Like, I think there's historically been a dearth of like black led and black told stories in Hollywood. Um, and 
if and when we produce more of those, like I think August Wilson's playography mm-hmm. is a, is a pretty good place to start from what we've yeah. read and what I've like read about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a pretty successful teller of the black experience mm-hmm. and he's modern. So um, I think, you know, being a modern playwright is helpful to translate to today. Yeah. I mean, you don't want like more Shakespeare. I mean, there was obviously no playwrights in 1490 or whatever, whenever he was around the 1300s. You don't know when Shakespeare was alive? No. When uh, was he alive? Do you know? I don't fucking know. No, I think it was like the 1500s. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but so there's that. And I think that also there's some themes in, in this book that we've talked about that just go beyond like race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is, it makes a fuller story, right? It's not just about black and white. Mm-hmm. It's about all these other things. So like comparing it to fences, do you think this was a, like a more watchable movie? I think this movie was actually fairly watchable. I do. Fences. And this, I mean, they're, they are, that's a good question. I'd have to go back and revisit fences, but I do remember that fences was in moments harder to watch because it was like a father son, mm-hmm. um, like parent child relationship. And this is mostly just like people jarring at each other. And I think the, like the, the personalness of fences may made it a little bit, made it a little bit more difficult. Excuse me. I just semi burped and hit my mic. Unbelievable. <laughs> I was trying to cover my mouth. Um, What'd you say? Unbelievable. <laughs> you missed my whole good uh, talk about fences. I know. Um, Clean it up. William Shakespeare, born sometime in the mid 1500s, died 1616. So there you go. He has the greatest initials in the game. WS. You know what I'm saying? Great first name. Yeah. Um, what about you? Is there anything in here, like reason for why you might want to adapt this? Um, for all the reasons that you stated, I think. F- if fences hadn't been as had not as been as popular, I don't think this probably gets made. Um, maybe it does. Wait, so answer your own question. Do you think like watchability? I think it's these infinitely two? more watchable than fences. Ma I really had a hard time getting through fences. Just, I mean, it's also two hours and 20 minutes. And I mean, certainly there's a lot going on. It's very heavy material. Um, but I just thought it was super slow. That movie. I have my own thoughts about it, but I really like really enjoyed this one a lot more than that one. Yeah. So that's, I just want to get your perspective on it. If you want to hear our thoughts, you should go back in the catalog and maybe find the episode. Yeah. Find that one. Um, but yeah, other than what you said for why this should be adapted, I think all the reasons you mentioned, um, and everybody likes, I mean, maybe it's been more recent, but with like La La Land and stuff, like people are becoming more, I think maybe are becoming more, um, receptive towards like musicals although this wasn't really a musical um certainly more receptive to music and film maybe yeah. i'm totally this is totally like i'm just like blaming this on la la land but there's like chicago from the mid was like oh three man yeah great great year you know, is that the only other musical you <laughs> can think really of the only one i can think la of la land because and- i usually just like i don't see them i don't i'm not really interested in them but. yeah and there was like the greatest showman couple years ago yeah there, there have been more yeah i'm sure um, there have obviously musicals are really popular in like the 50s and yeah they went out of style and then it, maybe they're coming back in style yeah i do think it's interesting like ma rainey is a real person mm-hmm. and yeah. she's not 
really well known. No. Bessie right? Smith took all over. Uh, she got market corrected by Bessie Smith. Bessie Smith became more famous. Yeah. But I think it is interesting to take a real person and provide her a little bit more fame. Yeah. Just by putting her on Netflix. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. She And she deserves it. She's the mother of the blues. Mother of the blues. So she taught her Bessie. She taught Bessie everything she knew. <laughs> Damn Bessie. Yeah. So that's um, it. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think that's it for the adaption section. All right. Let's go to break. Do you want to take it? Yeah. We're gone. <laughs> uh, here is a word from my sponsor. Do you have an idea for an episode? Tell us what it is. Tweet at us. Find us on Instagram. Follow us for updates and general musings at lit2lens. And we're back. Thank you for that brief word from me. Don't thank yourself, Will. It's not. No, I mean. It's not polite. It's not polite? Oh, is it? Thank myself. I don't think I guess so. it's egotistical. Yeah. Sorry. We got some jokes, though, that are going to make you laugh. Yeah. At least mine will. My, mine's not good, so maybe I'll start. Okay. Let's go. Um, why does Levy's grandpappy sit on the back porch with a straight razor while his grandma hung out the wash? I have no idea. To make sure she does it right. I don't get it. I, I mean, I don't understand why he was sitting on the back porch with a straight razor. Like, do you remember Levy says this? Yeah. Where he's like, now I finally understand why my grandpappy did this. Yeah. Do you understand? Because no. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I do. So there's this scene where he's talking to uh, Dusty and he's yeah. like, shoot, you're so hot. Like, now I get why my granddad's out on the back porch with a straight razor while his wife folded laundry i still don't get it i don't get it either oh that's the joke that we that you don't get it yeah but my joke was that like he was gonna make her killer yeah if she didn't do it right yeah that was my joke <laughs> but the problem is i don't understand why he would have that with you're gonna joke about murder murdering someone? that's really the only thing to joke about anymore <laughs> that's now true. that our country has fallen into such I, disrepair I, I actually forgot about i must have just breezed over that part yeah, because I can't think of any reason why he, it would be like funny that he would have that. Like, yeah. what what is he doing with it? I don't know. Or kill himself? Maybe? Someone, like, someone, write in. Yeah, and so, explain this, please. We'll get August Wilson on. So he's still alive, right? He's not. I think he died in like two thousand five. We'll get somebody else. So okay, well, can I tell my, my joke? Now? My joke was a fail. So <laughs> you go ahead. What happens when the pressure gets to be too much from a hurricane of emotions? I do not know. The levee breaks. Wow. I should have waited a bit more for the laughter. That's like one of my best jokes. No, that was ever. good. Yeah. That took me so long to like and write it, it out. It works on multiple levels. So get it? Because like Hurricane Katrina, the levee's broke. I get but it. But also his emotions broke. See, this is now you're doing a me where like it's a good joke and then you explain it and then it makes it bad. God damn it. I'll just cut that part so, out. So cut that part out. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the movie. Did we like it? Yay, yay or nay? Yay. I like this quite a bit. Yeah, um, me too. I totally agree with what you said right before break, which was that one of the reasons to adapt a play is to move the camera around Yep. and show different things, explore more than the stage allows you to explore. And I think the movie was willing to do that, mm-hmm. um, which I liked. And I think it in doing so it made things more real like showing the car accident we talked about Mm -hmm. um in the street versus just like them coming up to the stage to talk about it um 
as well they they move the camera to like further some of the the themes mm-hmm. like uh in the, in the play levy is trying to open this like random door in the studio yeah he's like this door wasn't here before i right. wonder what's behind it and he, that's the only mention of it and in the movie they're like they made that a thing they're yeah. like every time levy's in there he's gonna try to open this door <laughs> and then he finally does and it's just like this totally opened but like closed off brick random outdoor room yeah, that leads to, to nothing yeah and it's a metaphor that you know not all open doors lead somewhere Oh. so I, I did like that they were like expanded on some stuff yeah like he saw that door and was like you know what he should try to open it and yeah. find that there's nothing there. behind it right so there's um, no escape yeah uh performances obviously are what are going to get the most shine for sure and they were pretty magical yeah pretty great um i don't know you know it's a it was a good play and i think the movie translates the play and adds to it and i think it makes it just a little bit better yeah i mean it certainly doesn't leave anything major out from the play um all of the major points are hit and even a lot of the smaller ones um it's pretty i mean this is our next question but it's pretty literal right i would say it's very literal yeah yeah and um we can get into the differences in a second but it's literal in a way that is very approachable and it's very much like we've described this as a play about race and religion and money Mm. and it's like not didactic it's not dense Mm -hmm. it's like very human and the characters are really good and it's really i just really is watchable describe that some more like it's it's didactic and it's like uh what didactic is in like you know it could be teaching you that like you shouldn't be acting like this white person right like right here are here are our feelings um Mm -hmm. and that's like a you know not a good way to describe that at all but i get what you're saying yeah it's 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 entertainment but it also feeds you your vegetables right, like if right. you're paying attention well that's enough. a good way that's a right. better way to describe it yeah 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 there's there's you're eating broccoli but like you're broccoli. also like it's good and you like it and it's yeah. entertaining and yeah it's it's valuable as art and it's valuable as like social commentary do you know what is the worst vegetable eric would you like to know I would. I'm trying to think of what you might say. You can guess my answer if you like. I feel like you're not a big pea guy. Incorrect. <laughs> big pea guy. <laughs> my my least favorite vegetable is uh, lima beans. A cousin to a pea. Yeah, but they're... they're grittier. They're grittier. They're chewier. They're bigger. And they have this like weird skin texture that's not for me. I'm glad to know that. So... FYI, no lemon beans yeah. in the uh, studio. All right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, we'll leave them in the trash where they belong. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I would I would definitely agree. It's very literal. Um, re, you know, reimagining, I guess you could say, of the of the of the source material. Um, they certainly added to it, uh, and the stuff that they added, I really liked. Um, you know, we can get into some of the differences. In yeah, a let's bit talk here. about them. You want to do it? So the first scene, um, actually, the first shot is of of like a of the woods at night and you see people kind of running in the background from like a barking like a nasty bark yeah and at first you're like oh god this is like like oh no roxy's coming for me. <laughs> yeah i guess she's gonna kill you and as you first time you get like oh this is like slave times um but then as it as it pans and moves on you realize okay we're moving towards like a tent or like an outdoor event here and we find out it's ma rainey's 
like performance in the south yeah um and then we get this really cool scene where she's performing and it's like a tented uh venue yeah a tent show a tent show with like other performers around her and stuff and and then we're transported from that which so we might this is a difference so this did not appear in the play and then it transports that to chicago and they have these little kind of like news clipping shots where yeah. people are still but they're not still uh they're like small movement but it's like you know newspaper text over top of over top of the uh, image and then we're taken to chicago where she's performing at a big stage and she has all these backup dancers um shaking their black bottoms and you know the whole band is there and, and you see levy um and kind of looking at um her girl desi desi sorry desi desi may desi may yeah. and they're like smiling at each other and stuff and then and then he actually runs up to the front of the stage and does his own kind of solo yeah and everybody's kind of giving him this eye like what the fuck are you doing yeah uh and then that is that is the first sort of conflict that's the first source of tension that we're introduced to which i thought was interesting to do um as opposed to the play we're not interested introduced to that towards way later um because maud actually doesn't really show up i believe until was it act two or no it was towards the end of act one maybe yeah she showed up so she there's a big portion of the beginning of the film where she's just not even there she's just referred to and um she's like the first thing that pops up in the movie i just want to get maybe what your thoughts are did you like that did you dislike that it's interesting that you flag this i mean i think that to start at the beginning with the tent show like i think they're they obviously were setting one expectation and flipped it on its head and mm-hmm. say like these are actually people coming into a really popular show and i think there's a lot made about tent shows in the play that are they're a southern thing they are a like specifically like black run and like patron patronized thing right like mm-hmm. black people are supporting black artists who are playing in these tent shows right um and it is compared to like ma in chicago where she doesn't quite have the same following she's she's newer um and she's not as famous mm-hmm. so i think the tent scene specifically is showing that you're like showing her in her element and you you sort of understand the like magnetism of a ma rainey yeah like where she comes from and you know what her background is and she did, she wasn't just born this performer in chicago yeah um but it is it is literalizing her abilities just like the Chicago performance is literalizing her performing with her band now. Mm-hmm. Like, cause before she doesn't really have a band behind her. Maybe she does. I think she does. I'm not sure if it's the same people or not. Yeah. Um, and in Chicago, it's, the, it's our, like it's our main guys. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think it very clearly spells out the conflict between her and, and Levy. And it, it's interesting on the one hand, cause like you get why they do that. Cause it's just very clear mm-hmm. and you get a, show ma as like a talent right but on the other hand i don't know like the play doesn't do that and i I don't know that you necessarily need to show ma like that because you do get her like that later like she does perform in the studio Mm -hmm. and it's not as exciting because it's not as it's not in a live setting Mm -hmm. um so i don't know i I don't exactly know how to feel yeah I, i like the live nature of it because i think i do think for you know what i do think for what they're trying to do it's helpful to see her in front of a couple different crowds Mm -hmm. to get a sense of like her fame and how that fame might be different in 
I don't know where they are initially, like in the south somewhere. Yeah, I'm not sure. Versus in the north. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly have sort of mixed feelings about it because I like it. I think it was entertaining. But on the other hand, I think it can also um, set like unrealistic expectations for the viewer. Because they may have never heard of this movie. They thought, oh, this is like a blues movie, right? And then you get these two opening performances and you're like, okay, this is going to be like a performance movie, like lots of performances throughout, and like lots of music. And that's just not really what you get later on. So on one hand, I like it because it gives more backstory and it gives like sort of a sense of like what what it was like in the 1920s, you know, performances from in, in urban Chicago as well as like the Deep South. And you get that, you know, dichotomy and that contrast. But for me, it was so, it was sort of out of place because it wasn't. I mean, although it's referred to somewhat in the in the screen or the the play, excuse me, it sort of I don't know. It felt rushed, and it was sort of like I, I was sort of like, oh, this, is this what this movie's going to be? Is this going to be a totally different movie? Yeah, and the rest of it takes place in two rooms. Right. So. I mean, I, I certainly looking back, it's like, I don't hate it, but I, I could see where some audience members would be like confused or like th- sort of thrown off af- as a movie goes on. It's like, oh, this is not really what I was expecting. Yeah. I guess the big question for me is that like, do we need to show Ma Rainey as her like top self mm-hmm. Yeah. or not? And I don't, I don't exactly know. I like seeing her like that. And I'm just re saying what I've already said, but I don't know that it's necessarily needed. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, at some level you have to show that she is a star, right? You have to show that she is like well-loved and she didn't, she's not just like some random person who's trying to become a musician or a singer. She's like a well-known commodity. Yes. But to the audience, she's not. So that's maybe why it's helpful because she's not Bessie Smith. Right. She's not like any of these other. So maybe you do need to show that, no, she did have an audience. She was like a heavy hitter back in the the 20s or whatever. Yeah. In her home areas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yes. I'm in. You're in on this. Okay. Check check mark. (laughs) Put a check mark next to that. Um, And then. So moving on from that difference. We're, we are introduced to Ma Rainey um, later on after we're introduced to the musicians again uh, as she's walking through this hotel. It's sort of like an Airbnb or not Airbnb, but like a B&B. It's not like of. an Airbnb at all. <laughs> and she's walking through this hotel and she's walking down the stairs and she's getting lots of stairs. And first it's stairs of all black people, yep. all color people who are looking at her, but they're all dressed up. They're all nice um, in this. They're all eating breakfast, I assume um in the dining room and everybody's like dressed up to the nines kind of like almost like they're going to church or something well they're not like you wearing your uniqlo they wear like they wear like nice stuff yeah well like it's the uniqlo of 1927 that's what they're wearing (laughs) that's what it is yeah and so they're everybody's giving them weird looks like these odd like blankless stares and it's sort of it was odd to me because it almost reminded me of like a horror movie where like everybody looks and nobody was like giving any sort of emotion or like any sort of like social cues like oh that's you know psst, that's Ma Rainey like nobody was doing that it was just sort of like they're all just looking at her so I wasn't sure if that was meant to portray like oh she's famous or meant to portray like you know like oh that, that's Ma Rainey or it was supposed to be like oh who's this like black woman I think the second I think it okay. I think it's supposed to show because they show 
black people and white people with the same blank stares. Yes. So I do think it's meant to show that nobody knows who Ma Rainey is. This is now Chicago, which is so to, to bring it back to that, like initial, the second initial performance in the crowd, Mm -hmm. if that was in Chicago and she was popular and then now we're in Chicago still and she's unknown, maybe that's a little, it's a, it's a little like mismatch in a certain sense. But I think, I think the point they're trying to say is that like, she's not known in Chicago. Okay yet right so she's like a new commodity yeah so she still has incentive to because we've talked about like ma not recording until she's given a coke and all these things are met but she has incentive to to record because Mm -hmm. she still has audience to gain yeah in these northern states where they don't know her as well okay i think i see what you're yeah yeah okay i see what you're saying um and that does make sense where she but also she's she's like a very big woman she's wearing like lots of makeup crazy makeup yeah um she's got like a big fur yeah uh scarf on yeah like she she looks like i don't know if she looks famous but she she stands out like her appearance stands out true yeah even with everyone else who is like kind of dressed to the nines yeah she's like a level above that or maybe two yeah um yeah so i just thought that was interesting it sort of like kind of threw me off at first but i think I think you're right. I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, because there's there's between the between the tent show and the Chicago show, they do show they have those like the interstitial newspaper clippings mm-hmm. that talk about the Great Migration, which is just when groups of black folks like moved from the South to Chicago mm-hmm. to these other northern New cities. And- yeah, so I think it's maybe like a a new crowd of people that she doesn't know. Yeah that have recently moved there or are continually moving there. And she maybe doesn't even fit in with the black people that live there. Yeah. Cause she's Southern. Yeah. And yeah. So, um, and then, so I wanted to talk about Dussie for a few minutes because, so I, we were talking about this before we started recording, but I read, read, read her character when I was reading the play as, uh, Ma Rainey's daughter and when the scene came where they were she was performing in front of the mic when they just got to the studio and then ma rainey kind of comes in behind her real like sensually and like kind of like kind of kissing her neck and whispering to her i was like completely thrown off i was like what the fuck is going on and then you eloquently explained to me that no it's not her daughter it's like her girl yeah so you read it as like this is my girl dusty and this is my nephew sylvester and yes. you're like okay my girl my daughter my daughter that's my nephew it. yeah so totally incorrect reading from my point but i thought it was funny that that was my reaction to it that's funny i so i watched this movie first and then i read the play and then mm-hmm. i watched the movie again okay so maybe just because i saw the play or saw the movie first sorry i knew yeah she wasn't a daughter i'd have to read it again because maybe i just missed i just missed something you missed the cues yeah i missed the cues um but yeah i thought that was really weird but but you're introduced to dusty in a different way than the play she's a lot more like sensual and like she's a lot more like um uh, confident might be the wrong word but she's like performing she's dancing in front of the mic and she's like pseudo performing in front of ma rainey as well as uh, um other musicians later on well she's on the stage initially right that's true she, or she's off stage she's off stage yeah. but she's dancing and she's dancing around and... uh levy's looking at her mm-hmm. yeah yeah so yeah i do think they try to draw a parallel between her and levy because one of the first things she says to Ma Rainey is like, I need new shoes. 
my shoes are really uh. tight and levy like comes busting in in his own in- entrance into the story with like having just bought new shoes check out my new shoes so eleven dollars eleven dollars yeah full expansion so in some senses like they they sort of are they sort of have this like re- like related need or want yeah and that kind of bonds them but i think you're right like dusty is just around to i don't know like she certainly causes tension between ma and well levy, levy and then like everybody else basically um because everybody's trying to be like yo chill out stop like hitting on <laughs> dusty's dusty. or i mean uh, dusty ma's girl so yeah it's, it's she's i think she's a, a source of tension yeah she might, I guess her and Sylvester sort of have the least to do in the plot, but she at least is showing like that the sound does work. Cause she's like swaying her hips. She's, yeah. she's dancing mm-hmm. and it shows that like, at least she finds this music good enough to dance to. Yeah. So it's sort of like an affirmation to what Ma is saying, Yeah, but it's also Ma's person. Right. So she's of course going to support Ma. Yeah. And then let's tie a bow on Dusty before we move to the car crash. So in the play, Dusty and uh, Levy certainly flirt, have this flirtation going, and he's talking about, oh, let me be your man, and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, she's like kind of playing along with it, but also telling him off at the same time. And I think they may kiss. I think they do kiss. I think it's a very forceful kiss. Yeah, and then, so they do that in the movie as well, but they continue to kiss, and then it escalates into them having sex in the in the uh, rehearsal room yeah um and then um not toledo but uh slow drag kind of knocks on the door like hey doors locked like hey we're like ready for you my god of cokes yeah my god of cokes are ready to go um so that was interesting an interesting difference they sort of like dialed that up a lot um and i don't really think they needed to um necessarily because there was already that tension between them but it certainly dials it up to another degree that's like, okay, this guy's like really fucking up with Ma with Ma Rainey. Yeah, I think it underscores too some of his like impulsive tendencies where mm-hmm. he's like, I'm gonna take Ma's girl and we're gonna have sex in the other room. Yeah. No one's gonna come in, don't worry about it. Let's just like Right. Even though we're supposed to be recording right now. Yeah, let's just do it. It'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Um I what I thought what I actually thought was interesting about this was that it, it felt very it felt a lot more consensual than it did in the play. Like in the play, I really read it as he like grabs her, turns her like lays one on her yeah. and is like, yeah. Well, he, and now like with the sex and all that, it it's, it's longer. So you could, I don't know. It's more consensual later on. Like yeah. as, as it progresses. Yeah. Like but he I, definitely comes onto her and then she's, she doesn't relent in a, she like kind of is into it. Yeah. I mean, they, they kiss, I mean, they've been making eyes at each other for like the whole movie and then yeah it, it, not to say it's non-consensual yeah by any means but yeah no I, I, know, I know what you mean but in the movie they kiss on the piano chair yeah but then he also forcibly kisses her later like as she's trying to leave he kind of like grabs her in the movie and forcibly kisses, and then they sort of like continue but i didn't really get that vibe but um i think you're right it was as you almost knock over your water. So you get for putting it on. The you ground. start to you talk about sex and Eric gets all flustered. Yeah, my red rooster <laughs> starts to crow. Um, what a great line that is, by the way. Yeah, my note to this, I saw. So I saw you put this in the the differences, and my note was just like, let the damn rooster crow. Yeah, let, let, let him crow. So, but I I do think it's more of an impulse thing. Like he mm-hmm. he cares nothing for 
the reaction to his actions. Yeah. He'll just think he'll get away with it or he, yeah. he just wants to do it. So. If he wants it, he's going to do he's it. And that's, it. and that's it. And I think it's just like a, it's a, it's a boulder that continues to like roll down the hill. Yeah. And it, this just helps it pick up steam. Um, so let's move on from Desi and talk about the car crash. So there's a difference uh, here as well, where we're actually told about the car crash in the studio, you know, when we're reading the play by Sylvester, Dusty, the policeman, the policeman and Ma Rainey, they're all in the studio, but we're actually introduced. We're actually like, we see them driving. We don't witness the crash, but we see the aftermath in the middle of the street and the policeman, everybody's out there and Irv comes out. The difference is Irv and Mel come outside to talk to the policeman and pay him off. Um, so what do you think is the benefit of having the scene adjusted i think it makes it more real i think um in that time like there's no way they would let her leave the scene of that accident right and so it just is like yeah they probably didn't come up to the studio and then talk about it in the studio they probably had this out in the street right um but like i said before i do think it is it's just a way to paint the black and white divide beyond the walls of the studio because mm-hmm. there's definitely a, a power imbalance in the studio, but you have to remember that like beyond the walls, it is in a lot of ways like worse. Mm-hmm. Like Irv does a lot of things for Ma that are, are sort of like, they're not ironic, but they're, it's, he sort of is flipped in a certain sense. Yeah. Like, like if you think about what 1920s America is yeah. like Irv is very doting on her, Yeah, but outside of the record studio is not like that at all. Right. Right. And, you know, when I was reading it, I didn't get the sense. I was kind of like, oh, this policeman's like kind of being really nice, like especially for the 1920s for against, you know, black people. It's like he's allowing her, you know, leaving the scene of a crime and allowing her to like go to her, go to her place because she's like somebody important and famous. Says her. Yeah, says her like, well, that's actually like, you know, I feel like it would go a lot worse. Um, So I think you're right. It is a lot more realistic that they have it like this. Um I don't think a policeman would just allow her to like leave and go to a recording studio yeah. in the twenties. But you know, that's probably that's for, who's got the car in the, in the play. play All thing. three of the people in the car are gone. Plus that's the policeman. True. Yeah, that's true. And you probably do need to verify that it's her car, just like registration and stuff. Yeah, that's true. But I guess any, that would happen for any accident, right? Yeah. License and registration. And I don't know if they had registration in the twenties, but that's one for our researcher to figure out. Yeah. I imagine cars were probably, probably pretty new by 1927. Yeah. Ish. So I don't know how they verified it back then, but anyways, um moot point but she um, wrote ma fucking rainy on her <laughs> uh license plate yeah that's what she did. that's how you know <laughs> and then they it also adds a little bit of like the racial tension so there's lots of white people around kind of looking skeptically at ma rainy as well as to like what's going on and she's kind of like she's being herself she's being like loud and like defending herself that's and, true like, yeah she's, she's being very not, real. like letting these people like take advantage of her in any way so we get more of that. That's a good point. Yeah, it is, a, it is a pretty big character building moment. Like someone else in this scenario might like acquiesce to what the cop is saying. And she's like, no, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything wrong. Right. So I'm not going to be in trouble for this. And also I'm famous. Right. Right. <laughs> Throw the famous card in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. And then um, a very similar scene uh, in terms of like the... Uh, tertiary racism towards like groups of white people that are hanging out outside um when ma doesn't get her cokes she um threatens to leave and then she has slow drag and sylvester go get her some um so they walk into the deli or whatever and and they walk in they open the door and there's like 12 
like white people like workers probably like construction people i don't know yeah and they're all just like staring at him giving this look like you don't belong here essentially yeah uh and they and i think toledo kind of like he doesn't really chuckle but he's sort of like okay we gotta go somewhere else kind of thing and they leave so that was another scene that was added um and i think it's pretty pretty straightforward as to like what they were trying to do there yeah i think that's just like another reminder that your world inside the studio is not the world outside right um which i think the play tries to the play is not outward with that but like Mm -hmm. you know it exists so you might as well there's no harm in adding that yeah element Um, to the story yeah just a little subtle reminder that like yeah 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 um and then one more big difference was the last scene in the movie where um a group of white musicians um there's a lot of them there's there's almost like 15 of them or something they're performing a song called jelly roll which is referred to earlier in the play and, and in the story by um i believe it's levy right yeah and i believe it's his song yeah that he wrote um so basically before that before you know spoiler alert if we probably should have mentioned that earlier but um it's too late now too late now yeah so levy basically well we really haven't spoiled anything yet so i think we're actually i'm about there. to and so levy basically goes to mel towards the end of the movie and is like hey you told me like you wanted me to like write you some songs here are those songs like i want to perform them for you and stuff he's like, oh no i just like i want the songs like I'll pay you $5 for them. I don't really want you. I don't need you to perform them. And he's really upset because he, he thought he was going to be able to get his own band together and perform them and perform these songs that he wrote and then become famous essentially. So his plan is totally ruined. And then stuff happens later where he ends up killing Toledo. And then that's the end of the play. What do you mean stuff happens? The man steps on his shoes (laughs) and he loses his mind. He said, excuse me. Yeah. So, and then he loses his mind and kills him. Yeah, you're right. So he gets rejected by, mel and then like breaks basically mm-hmm. and when toledo steps on his shoes he just like he loses it he loses Completely it loses stabs it. him yeah and then i thought it was actually pretty realistic the way they did that where his he realizes what he did right after he does it and like he's like very apologetic and like but also still angry at the same time i thought it was a really good they did the same in the play as well um he had the same reaction i thought it was a really good scene yeah, you know, Levy is somebody who, across the play, like, thinks something is coming to him. Mm-hmm. He thinks something is promised to him. And, I mean, there's allusions to, like, making... He talks all the time about making a deal with the devil yep. and how he's not afraid of white people. Right. And he finally reaches this moment where he is supposed to have a deal. And the guy's like, actually, we don't like these songs. Yeah. I'm happy to just buy them from you, but I don't want you to play them. We don't think they're going to be any good. Yeah and this is not what we need right now is what he says i think yeah not what we're looking for and he wants that so much that's the only thing he wants and he doesn't get it and it totally just that's like his so that's like his like end goal and so he basically burns all these bridges in the meantime with ma and everybody else because he's like i'm gonna have this anyway ultimately gets fired from the band he gets fired from the band and and basically ruins his relationships with everybody yeah and he's just like, because I don't really care because I'm going to get this thing anyway. I was promised this by Mel. I'm going to become a star without you guys. And then that doesn't happen. And then he's like, fuck. Yeah. But to bring it back around, they basically steal the song from Levy. That, well, he he pays for it. Yeah. But he did promise that he was going to allow him to get a band and stuff. So he, he technically steals 
steals the song from and it's basically it's performed by this white band yeah um, pretty terribly pretty terrible it's pretty I like yeah, i mean it's pretty awful it has no emotion i'm not a music critic but like it was bad yeah it was very like and i think it was meant to be bad i but. think it was van- very vanilla yeah is the best way to describe it because well, they're all white yeah <laughs> and um and then like the last scene is like where he like snaps his fingers like a like a blues player or whatever like yeah. very like st- stereotypically and that's like the end scene um so what did you think of that did you did you like that addition to the movie did you dislike it i liked it quite a bit um so i don't know if you like specifically mentioned the end of the book is like there's a big trumpet sound i mm. think after the after he kills toledo so this is just sort of an extension of that where mm. rather than play him out with the horn he gets played out with his own music that is maybe maybe not good but will ultimately like make a bunch of money and is sort of like terrible for him. Yeah. Like he, he I don't know. It's like the ultimate fuck you. And I, I think it underscores the, like the deal with the devil a little bit harder where it's just like you dance with the devil and you're going to have a white jazz band record your song really poorly and they're probably going to make a bunch of money from it. Yeah. Cause this is actually the ironic thing is like th- that is actually the sound they want. Right. Cause it, yeah. And they, they can take it from him because he has no, he has no way to stop them. He's, he's, he has no audience. He has no audience. He literally killed a person. And so he's going to be taken away forever. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, but like all of his power is totally drained. He's, he also wants it so bad. It's, so there's another difference between him and Ma He wants it so bad that he's willing to like give up these songs and you know write these songs for him and just whereas ma would not be willing to do that she would she basically had them write this contract up and then she'd even sign it till she like was about to leave so she knew how to play the game against these people and get what she wanted out of it you know with with them basically like begging her to sign the sign of the dotted line whereas he doesn't know how to deal with them and is basically him you know uh waiting on this promise this verbal promise not a you know non-contractual agreement whatever um so yeah and i I think they don't want what they don't know i think there's a Mm -hmm. certain like ip point to this too like those are new songs by somebody that's unknown Mm -hmm. whereas like ma rainey is singing like she's the mother of the blues so she's singing ma rainey songs Mm -hmm. and bessie smith songs yeah so like she she's performing the very like the, the most well-known versions of some of these songs mm-hmm. whereas like he wants to write new stuff and then he's like there's no market for new stuff because nobody knows who you are right and if i can't sell you as you then you're worthless to me right exactly and then he makes himself worthless to everybody <laughs> and he's easy to steal from yeah yep so um so what parts of the play oh sorry i'm at the wrong point uh so the same key themes as august wilson's play do you think that those um rang through to uh to the movie i think so um I'm so looking, race definitely looking back at the list here yeah race religion money ambition stubbornness i think i think so i think they're all just like dialed up probably a little bit yeah i would agree with that um there was no new themes i think that were brought to maybe like the historical factor um you know with her background 
Yeah, more awareness of what Ma Rainey can do as a performer. Mm-hmm. Although that's not Viola Davis singing. It's, I think, someone else. Yeah, somebody else, yeah. Um, so would you say that this adaptation was successful? I think so. I think it really was. I think it, like, the opposite of Harry Potter last time, where it was like you translated a bad book into the exact same movie. Right. You translated a good play <laughs> and added, like, good parts to it. So, you know what? Kudos for you. Side note on that, I recently talked to somebody about Harry Potter 2. And she said that, wow, you read the worst one of the bunch. There you go. So you were confirmed. I don't. I didn't need to be confirmed because <laughs> I already knew that to be true. So, you know. Just wanted to throw that in there. So it's on the record. I'm going to wave it away. <laughs> okay, if you don't want it. <laughs> no, tell her thank you. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, I agree. I think the adaptation was successful. It hit all the key points. It didn't stray too far away. And the stuff that it added, generally speaking added to the story and didn't like detract from it and yeah. make it something totally different. Yeah. So it made the world a little bit bigger and uh, made the themes deeper. A little better. Yeah. So hot takes. Would yeah. you like to go first? No, you go first. So my hot take is that Ma Rainey is an asshole. You don't even know her. I How do know her say after, after reading about her and seeing her. She's a total asshole, but I think she is justified, but that doesn't make her not an asshole. Do you, do you see my point? Yes. Okay. I think I think that makes sense. I think she's a justifiable asshole. So. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just she's rude to Irv and Mel, and she's rude to Levy. She's gen- she's also rude to Cutler. Um, just when everybody when anybody like tries to maybe like add something or like change something, she just like is an asshole and it's like no, and like maybe that's the right reaction. But I was like, wow. Ma, like you're kind of an asshole. Ma. So that's my take. All right. What's yours? I like it. Um, mine is that Lev- Levy, Levy, Levy is the perfect role for a young Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. And it, obviously Chadwick Boseman is, is great in the role, but it is almost like if this had happened in 1995, like it, it was, is like literally perfect. He would have won another one. Yeah. Like his, he plays ambition so well. He plays like one-sided tenacity, uh, like perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like I think he would be really good at some of the smugness, some of the like style. Um, he he's got everything that Levy has, and obviously he produced his play. He produced yep. fences. He started in fences, yeah. so it's easy to make that comparison. But damn. No, I think you're absolutely right. Like, like, I read this and I was like, this is a Denzel part. Yeah, I mean, you basically take him in training day and move him into the 1920s. Yeah. Like a total conniving, kind of scummy. But with some swag. Yeah. With, some with, with like, oodles of talent. Yeah. Like, I feel like Denzel is always a very talented person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's perfect. Maybe he bought this play because he was like, I need to live vicariously through chadwick and he's too old i mean he's way too old for it now yeah way too old yeah but unfortunately okay yeah, that's my like and then uh move your book i or move your play in this instance i chose to play um and this was actually kind of hard because i liked both a lot but i gave the edge to the play because i usually don't like reading plays so there you go and i'm and i'm harder to impress by by reading a play than i am with a movie so okay I went movie for um, reasons that I liked the play and I just think the movie was the play, but a little bit 
better. Fair enough. So you're allowed to have that opinion. Yeah. So, and then some final thoughts. What will we remember from the play? I uh, will remember the uh, Levy's monologue about his father and his and his mother. Um, I just thought that was like, I thought that was like the most important part for me to get over how crazy Levy was. Like it, it just like it justified his behavior for me. Um, so I thought that was an important part that I'll remember that. Yeah, I, that's what I would have put if, had you not already put it here. I think that's going to be on. We talked about the the Viola Davis sizzle reel. That's going to be on the Chadwick Boseman sizzle reel. Yeah, so for sure. you'll probably see that. If you're not first, you're last. Um, so. my what I added here was just like the Toledo wisdom. Yeah, I just liked I just like Toledo. I liked to, he would he would throw in some stuff. It would be good. It would be good. That I think his stuff made me think the most. It's like, what is he trying to say here? Yeah. Yeah, I like to. T- Color was kind of a little bit dull, although I like the actor a lot. He was really yeah, good. Yeah, he was good. Um, and I think slow drag was just a bit of a slow drag. <laughs> so Toledo, <laughs> uh, my favorite city in Ohio, and also my favorite non-Levy uh, character. It's Levy your favorite character. city in Ohio. It's not. Oh, but it spiritually, <laughs> it's like a top five Ohio city. Okay. And then, um, well, Ohio cities are not that great, so that's got to be like pretty low, like nationally. Because nobody likes... Let's go to yeah, Cincinnati. Like Cleveland, Cincinnati. Ohio, or Columbus. Columbus. Although Columbus is known for their architecture. Yeah, I know you watched the movie. Yeah. But that's it. Columbus, Indiana, isn't it? Is it? What? <laughs> I actually don't know. We'll get our research to look at this. I didn't know it was a Columbus, Indiana. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a top, certainly a top four Ohio city. Okay. Well, congratulations. Toledo. So, Toledo. Er- Eric rated you pretty highly. Um, and then uh, what we remember from the movie, I said... Uh, Ma Rainey's makeup because it is outrageous and you really get a sense of it in like her actor her Oscar sizzle scene where she's talking about the blues and what it means essentially and it's just like it's dolled up yeah and and to in the tent the first tent performance where yes. it's really hot and it, she's just like dripping dripping sweat yeah yeah and her makeup's running mm-hmm. yeah um what I answered for this was just that the the white band playing a really terrible version of the jelly roll song at the very end i think that is like like maybe like the most important part of the movie a bit of it like a chef's kiss at the end yeah it's like we hit our themes now we're going to show you this terrible version <laughs> bastardized by like grubby money people white, white people yeah no i agree um cool so that basically wraps it up for us um today thank you for listening um we're going to sign off here but before we do, um, check out our most recent episode on Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the worst uh, book and movie in the series, according to Eric, but a very good podcast that you should listen to. That's right. As I said, there are bad books, but there are no bad episodes. That's exactly right. <laughs> and keep an eye out for our next episode, which is going to be on what, Eric? Nomadland, starring Francis McDormand, coming to Hulu on February 19th. So we are going to plan to watch it when it comes out and then hopefully record that weekend. So if you you know, want to read along and watch along, be sure to do that. It's in two weeks from today or, you know, two weeks, almost two weeks from today on Hulu, um, on Hulu. four ninety nine. Yeah. I mean, a month. yeah. So just, or just steal like your parents or your friends. I don't think anybody has Hulu. I have I, Hulu. Well, I have Hulu too. <laughs> Fuck. I feel like Hulu is probably one of the least, like has the most, has the least amount of accounts according like, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Least amount of uh, accounts. According to the Compared to the world. like Netflix and yeah, yeah. Prime. And- I would think Netflix and Prime are probably the top two. Then maybe Disney Plus. Then maybe HBO Max. Yeah. 
and then like the the hulus and the apples and the oh the hulu is the cheapest yeah there's Somebody... paramount plus now if you watch the super bowl uh, yeah. last night oh my god dude. nobody's gonna fucking get there's too many show. there's discovery plus which is food network and hgtv there's too many it needs to stop it does need to stop i think at some point there's going to be a service where you like pay 40 dollars a month and they're going to bundle they have to bundle them I mean, they have so to. stupid we just unbundled cable and now we're going to rebundle cable <laughs> it's like literally it's stupid thank you for the your hot take so <laughs> um and then if you guys want to give us some ideas for future seasons we haven't decided yet uh what we're going to do after the oscars but we've floated some floated some ideas around about maybe doing a location-based season maybe los angeles boston new york city maybe paris one of our buddies is going to paris uh in the fall so maybe we get him on the pod yeah maybe charles mr charles do a video pod. fan favorites or, uh, a video pod. shows us the a zoom pod yeah he'll be allowed into europe before any of us are allowed probably actually yeah yeah definitely so um or maybe genre based or tv series let us know uh where can they find us little at gmail.com for for some either questions or ideas yeah Yeah. um at little ends both on instagram and twitter um what else are we a blog yeah little ends blog blog at uh or dot wordpress.com yep um so and then any shout outs would you like to shout out anybody maybe griffey or no no shout outs this episode (laughs) i'm gonna gonna keep it in the holster (laughs) wait you gotta wait for the right time yeah I'm also not going to shout anybody. There you go. Because I don't deserve it. So. Next thanks, time. Thanks so for listening. Work better. Work harder. Work, work better? Work better. <laughs> oh, jeez. Hopefully we'll be better next time. <laughs> thanks.